interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Wow, wow, wow. Welcome to the show. We have a very exciting show today. Probably the most listened to show over the past decade, I would say. We've had so many callers already backed up. And that is because we have a great civil rights leader, advocate, and leader in America for equality across the board. And may I say, I want everyone to hear this. Because of this woman, Americans with disabilities are going to gain more jobs than they ever have. She is our champion. Welcome to the show, head of OFCCP, Pat Shu. Thank you, Joyce. I'm so pleased to be here with you. Well, it's pleased. I'm more than pleased for you to be here. And I know, I think we have someone on the line that wanted to talk to you right at the beginning. Okay. Um, okay. Tony, are you on the line? I am on the line. Hey, Tony. Tony Quello, how are you? Fine. How oh, are you, goodness. Joyce? And hello, Pat. Hey, how are you? Good, good, good. It's great to be on the show uh, with you uh, because... Uh, as Joyce pointed out, uh, you are handling a situation that will have, in my view, a greater impact, impact than what the ADA itself has had. And uh, it's predicted by you and others that, that in the first year of implementation of uh, 503 that says the government must, I mean, federal so contractors and subcontractors must hire people with disabilities. It is predicted that there will be over 450,000 people with disabilities hired in the first year. That is huge, and I appreciate all that you've, all that you've done and are doing to make that possible. So I think your listeners are in for a big treat today. Well, thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you took the time to come on um, today, Tony. No problem. Hey, Tony, while, Tony, while I have you on the line, before I have a question to ask you about 503, but every show at the beginning I have breaking news on what's happening with CRPD. Do you want to give us a quick update? I sure do. CRPD is what I call the Disability Treaty. It's basically uh, the United States uh, ratifying uh, the treaty that says uh, that aspirationally, all nations on this earth uh, shall uh, treat their uh, individuals with disabilities with respect and give them the opportunities that everybody else uh, in their country has. And so uh, we were instrumental in, in getting it drafted and, and adopted, and now there are 133 countries that have ratified it. The U.S. has not. We brought it up in December. It uh, was voted down uh, by uh, the, I would say, Joyce conservative uh, Republican members um, and some others that I felt were misled. Uh, and where we are now is that we had a hearing uh, on the 12th. Our second hearing is going to be this Thursday. Uh, we are hopeful for another big turnout by the disability community. And uh, then we are talking about going to uh, mark up, in other words, for the Senate committee to make its uh, decision the week of the 9th of December. And then after that, it would go to the Senate floor. So it's uh, exciting. We're coming back at it. We feel like we have a, another good shot this time, and we hope to uh, get it ratified. So, Tony, anyone listening to the show, what should they do to help you? Please, please, please call your senators and tell them uh, that you support the Disability Treaty and it's time for the United States to ratify it and move it forward. 
but every call counts, so please make calls. It's really, really important that you do so. Okay, and you heard it. It's coming from Tony Quello, author of the ADA, former congressman, our hero. You better listen to him. And before you go, Tony, Pat, <clears throat> how... How real is this going to be? Let's say, for for example, a federal contractor totally ignores this, doesn't take it seriously. I'm talking about 503. What happens? Well, I'll quickly uh, say something and then let Pat take on and then I'll uh, move on. But uh, first off is that it is the law, and and Pat will explain uh, what... uh, how the government is implementing that law now. Uh, it's an executive order that has been signed by the president. And uh, these federal contractors and subcontractors, uh, starting in, I think it's June, uh, will have to start to comply with that executive order. Uh, um, Pat and her group will, uh, they will be required to say what, give a plan as to what they're doing to hire people with disabilities. And uh, they uh, have to be able to show that they are actually uh, out there trying to uh, hire people and and actually hiring people with disabilities. But I'll let uh, Pat explain the details, but I just want all the federal contractors and subcontractors that might be listening, and then those with uh, individuals like I do that have a disability, uh, just know that the best friend we have is Pat Shu, because she will enforce it and make sure that it happens, and we'll end up with thousands of people's lives will be changed uh, because of this executive order and Pat Shu's leadership and enforcement. So, Pat, thank you very much for all you've done and all you're doing. Uh, we love you for it. Joyce, thank, thank you for having me on the show. Sure. Okay, well, Pat, what do you think about that? Um, before I answer that specific question, first let me recognize um, Secretary Hilda Solis, um, Secretary Tom Perez, Deputy Secretary Seth Harris, um, my staff here at OFCCP, and really everybody at the Department of Labor helped with these regulations um, from our policy um, department um, at DOL, to our solicitors, um, to our outreach people, to OPA, each and every really group at at, at DOL made this happen. Um, If it takes a village to raise a child, it certainly took a village to um, get these regulations done. And it really is the um, collaborative effort and long-time effort four years of effort of getting this done. And it's because we all here at the Department of Labor are very committed to equal employment opportunity and advancing the rights of people with disabilities, veterans, and others um, to get a fair shot at the workplace. Now, having said that, let me answer more specifically your question. These regulations, and in particular Section 503, um, recognizes the foundational principle that what gets measured gets done. And what it does is it identifies a 7% aspirational goal for contractors that have 100 or more employees um, to try and hit that goal by hiring people with disabilities. Um, It is not a quota, but what it does do is it sets metrics and accountability for federal contractors, so they can begin to identify and measure how they're doing in terms of all the component parts before someone gets hired. How are they doing in terms of their outreach? How are they doing in terms of their recruitment? Once people get hired, how are they doing in terms of their retention? What do their reasonable accommodation policies look like? There are ways to measure every step that is necessary for the success of hiring people with disabilities. And it's all those steps that we are looking at with contractors, um, assisting them so that they use best practices at every stage because that's what's so absolutely important here. Um, As Tony had, had mentioned, if federal contractors were to hit 
the 7% goal in the first year, approximately 600,000 people with disabilities would be hired. Now, these aren't new jobs. I want to make that very clear. But that's a lot of people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And our VEVRA regulations, which protect protected veterans, has a little bit of a different, um, it's called a benchmark. It's not a goal. It's an 8% national goal. Um, if contractors were to hit that goal, 205,000 veterans would be hired. Um, there's another way that, that contractors can, can use a, a benchmark, um, but that, that 8% is the national goal. Um, so what we're talking about is making a very serious debt and, and, and making some real lasting employment opportunities for people with disabilities and for veterans. We know that there are 300,000 veterans approximately coming back from tours of duty every year. Um, and when we're talking about veterans right now, I mean, to, for contractors to hire 200,000 is huge. And we need to also recognize that many veterans are people with disabilities. They come back with um, injuries, etc. So this is, this is important, um, and it's important for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons why it's important is because what we are doing for people with disabilities and protected veterans is providing the same sort of accountability and metrics that we do with respect to race and gender. Um, again, what gets measured gets done. Um, but what's also really important about this from a more philosophical perspective is the importance of work to one sense of dignity, um, to a family. It's not just the basis for economic sustenance. It's what people do most of the day. They get up, they go to work. That's how they spend their time. It's part of being um, one part of the fabric of society. And that's what's, I think, so important and so exciting. It's a total win-win situation, um, not only for people with disabilities, but for contractors who now will benefit from the great uh, wealth of experience, expertise, loyalty, and conscientiousness that we find um, in the workplace um, for people who have disabilities and protected vets. And once again, this is so exciting. Pat, I'm telling you, you will go down in history for this because we have struggled so long. As you well know, this was written 40 years ago, and I just want everyone to know, I know Pat, and she worked night and day, day and night, tirelessly. Really, she needed at times a bulletproof vest, and she never gave up. She never gave up, and so everyone listening with a disability know that this woman never gave up on us, and we will always admire you for that. As a matter of fact, Pat, aren't you receiving an award this evening? I am. Um, actually, I, I am receiving it, but I am receiving it on behalf of, of everybody at the Department of Labor who made this happen. Yeah, that's because you are so humble but I just want to congratulate you. I know it's from AUCD, and I think it is awesome because you are a great civil rights leader, and you have been. You have been. You've been fighting for people for a long time, but this is enormous. It really is. So um, is something going on? What's going on with OMB? Well, there is a, a voluntary uh, self-identification form that is going to be critical um, to the enforcement of the Section 503. Um, part of the, the regulatory scheme involves that folks self-identify, um, but it's completely voluntary. It is both pre-offer and post-offer, so it's a little different than what most employers understand, and the reason for this is because it is done in furtherance of affirmative action. When You can ask people to self-identify before they're offered a job and after they're offered a job because you are furthering affirmative action in your workplace, and, and that's very important. 
Um, and what's important for your audience to know is there is a form right now at the Office of Management and Budget um, where people can go on online and, and find look at that form. See if that form works for you. If you were applying for a job, does that form, one, make sense to you? Do you understand it? Do you, is there anything you're concerned about? Um, so that we can make all the appropriate changes. We want people to self-identify, but we don't want them to do it if they feel like they may be threatened or retaliated against. We think part of what we're doing here with the Section 503 reg is trying to create a cultural change in the workplace where people do not need to be afraid of self-identifying as having a disability prior to asking for reasonable accommodation. Right now, what happens in the workplace, generally speaking, is that people with disabilities um, tend to be invisible unless and until they need an accommodation, at which point they will go to their employer and ask for one. And sometimes not always ask for one because they fear um, what they might find out with possible retaliation. So that's what this form is about. It would be very helpful for us and I think for OMB to hear from folks who would actually be filling it out. And this is a form for everybody. You can you know, say you do have a disability, you don't have a disability. But it's important that the form is something that's user-friendly and understandable and one that won't put people off. Well, okay, you heard it. Let's move on it. Uh, because any type of education is helpful. Anything that makes it simpler is helpful. And, and I just want to say, uh, Pat, anytime I speak at a company, I'll go to a company and I'll speak and I'll tell them um, about employing people with disabilities. And frequently they'll say to me, well, you know, we've never done this before. And that's when I tell them, oh, yes, you have. They're, they're right here in your company now. They, just, just as you mentioned, it. yes, they right. have epilepsy like me, or they have bipolar disorder, depression, uh, MS, diabetes, whatever it is, it's just they don't feel comfortable telling you. So I just want to uh, really underline what Pat said. It is so true that once you make it a welcoming environment, you will be surprised how many people will feel comfortable raising their hand and identifying voluntarily as a person with a disability. And you know the number one thing you need to do? Hire someone. Because once people with disabilities see other people at the company, they'll feel better about their own disability. So with that, Pat, I know we're getting a lot of questions. I think there's some confusion here with EEOC and OFCCP. So for our listeners, could you just take a moment and explain what OFCCP is and what the mission is? Uh, certainly. Um, the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs was created in 1965 by President Lyndon Johnson through the execution of Executive Order 11246. That's a presidential order that prohibits discrimination against employees of federal contractors on the basis of race, sex, national origin, and color um, and religion. Um, so what OCCP does is it regulates the federal contractor community. Um, that doesn't mean we decide who gets the contracts. We don't. We also enforce two other laws. One is the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, and one is VEVRA, which protects um, protected vets. What we do is we protect the civil rights of the 25% of the American workforce that work for federal contractors. When you think federal contractors, think of every possible thing that the federal government purchases. It could be legal advice. It could be pharmaceuticals. It can be blue jeans. It can be poultry. It can be meat. It can be sodas. It can be Band-Aids. It can be ships. It can be defense <coughs> um, artillery. Um, it's a lot of different things. $500 billion worth of federal taxpayer money is spent every year <coughs> on buying federal goods and services. Wow. Construction, for example. So... Every federal contractor 
that's covered by us, um, and that generally is contractors that have uh, at least 50 employees and a $50,000 contract, $100,000 contract when it comes to Vevra, agrees, one, not to discriminate, which they can't do anyway under Title VII, but also to engage in affirmative action. So in that respect, OFCCP really is the last bastion when it comes to affirmative action. We are very different than the EEOC, although our mission is somewhat the same because we want to protect the rights of workers. We generally are not a complaint-driven agency. That means that we do not need a person to come to us, file a complaint for us to begin an investigation or an audit. Um, Every year, uh, OFCCP audits about 4,000 federal contractors who are neutrally selected, and we look for indicators of discrimination. Contractors provide us with basic data about who works there, what position, how much people are paid, who's promoted, et cetera, et cetera. There's an affirmative action plan that is also provided to us. And I'm happy to say that most of the time we don't find discrimination. Uh, We may find record-keeping violations. We may find outreach violations. But we do find discrimination. And when we do, we um, we are really pursuing it. Um, in order to rectify it and make sure that workers get make-whole relief, which is back pay, interest, jobs if they are entitled to them. And we've also tried in the last four years under the Obama administration to really pursue a strategy where we don't see the same issue and the same contractor coming back over and over and over again. We try and deal with the issue at hand. It could be a hiring practice, whatever the practice may be where we have found there to be some discrimination, and then we want to work with the contractor to engage in some really meaningful, long-term, systemic relief. I think that inures to the benefit of both the contractor as well as OFCCP. We have very limited resources, and we want to use them wisely, but we also want to work with the contractor community to facilitate its success, and we're doing so really in, in a huge way with respect to Section 503 in VEVRA right now, and I'm happy to chat with you more about um, that component of it. Wow. Well, so to me then, um, if you see a company is really not moving forward at all, even with, as you said, record-keeping, um, demonstrating a systemic process for recruitment of any minority group uh, or the veterans, people with disabilities, what we've just talked about, this is when they would be in violation. It, I want to make very clear that the kinds of audits that we'll be doing, um, the effective date of both statutes is March 24th, 2014. Let's make that clear. Um, the regs were finalized and published September 24th, 2013. Um, what's important to know is that we will be analyzing audits on a case-by-case basis. This is a more nuanced, sophisticated analysis because we have to look at where contractors are in the scheme of their recruitment and outreach efforts their retention efforts, their policies and procedures. And what we want to do is work with contractors to make sure that they are up to speed and certainly to make sure they comply already with already existing law. So there's no, I don't want to give you a pat answer, so to speak, to a question that really requires something that's a more nuanced analysis. Um, but I can tell you that the only way this is going to work and be successful is if we can work with the contractor community toward our common goal. And that's why in these first six months, we are making huge strides to reach out to the contractor community, engage in listening sessions where we hear the questions contractors have with respect to how to operationalize this, uh, perceived inconsistencies or conflicts, and work to develop FAQs, questions, and answers that will serve uh, the contractor community across the country. 
We want to be clear. We want to be consistent. And we want to make sure that we provide thoughtful and accurate answers in the context of an analysis that is not a check-the-box type of analysis. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand perfectly what you're saying. And by the way, I know some federal contractors that <clears throat> will meet with you, so I will follow up with you. And I do encourage other contractors because, as, as Pat said, it's working together where we can really move forward with this wonderful Section 503. So, Pat, when you were, and I can't imagine, I can never imagine what it's like to be selected as an appointee to the President of the United States, but when you did accept this appointment, uh, what did you see as your major responsibility to President Obama? Well, um, to... That's kind of an interesting question. Um, at the time that I accepted the appointment, um, I made a promise to myself that I wanted to ensure that I was committed to the president's vision, whatever it may be, and to do whatever he and the secretary needed me to do um, in terms of his vision and leadership for the country. And I will say... President Obama, you have done so much for people with disabilities, how much we appreciate this. And uh, Valerie Jarrett, you have been such a great spokesperson for us. We so much appreciate that. And you mentioned uh, Secretary Solis and Seth Harris. I just want to say we all in the disability community wanted and fought to see Secretary Tom Perez. He is wonderful, and he will fight for people with disabilities. He already has when he was at the Justice Department. So, you know, I I just want you to know we appreciate everyone. We appreciate the president. And, of course, Pat, we appreciate you and what you have done. So, Pat, people that are calling in right now wondering where can they go to get more information about this regulation um, where do they go? On did they go to your website? Where do they go? Um, before I answer that question, let me just make something really clear. Um, President Obama made a pledge during um, the, his campaign to, to to really do something meaningful for people with disabilities, mm-hmm. among other people, <clears throat> and he kept that promise. Um, he kept that promise, and so did his administration, and we all have worked really hard um, to ensure that we could achieve his vision. Um, I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to work in this administration. Um, you know, quite frankly, I feel like I was very fortunate because I was in the right place at the right time. I have spent pretty much my entire career um, advocating on behalf of workers and their families, and civil rights is really one of my passions. Um, But this has been an extraordinary opportunity for me to work with other folks who are so committed to American workers and their families and try in some small way to push the ball forward for all of us. Because when we push the ball forward for some of us, we push the ball forward for all of us. Um, so let me let me just say that, and also really would like to thank Valerie Jarrett um, for her efforts, um, as well as Cecilia Munoz and and others. There are so many people at the White House who were behind us and supported us in these efforts, um, and they were very long term. Um, now, with respect to your specific question, um, you can go to dol.gov/ofccp slash 503 rule for the 503 rule and dol.gov slash OFCCP slash VEVRA, V-E-V-R-A-A rule for the VEVRA rule. If you want to look at the self-ID form, you can go to self-ID form at reg, R-E-G, info, I-N-F-O dot gov. Okay. Um, And I've seen that and it's very good information. So, 
uh, I would encourage everyone to follow up. And federal contractors, Pat, who are saying, um, what can I do to assist in seeing this enforcement of the regulations and plan? How do I do it? What do I do? Um, You mentioned earlier that you would like to meet with different federal contractors. What we have been doing, let me tell you, Joyce, my team here in the national office um, and, and also around the country, but mostly in the national office, have been taking the lead on these listening sessions. And we've also um, held, I don't know how many webinars, um, just in the first week after the rule was announced, there were thousands of people and someone is pointing to me and telling me we've done five webinars. Wow. One inside, four external, and there were thousands of people that signed up for each one. Um, and we're going to continue to do those, but on in a more sophisticated way because as we go out and we listen to the questions in the community, we really want to be able to kind of dig deep and really help people get this right. So we're using this six-month time period to really get out there and make it happen and make this successful for all of us. Um, And the other thing I just want to point out is we tried to be very flexible when it came to contractors complying with the aspirational goal. We decided that it wasn't really our job to mandate with whom contractors ought to have linkage agreements. Let them decide who they ought to have linkage agreements with in terms of recruitment and outreach for their particular industry and their particular company. Instead of requiring um, five years' worth of data, we've, re- we've asked for three years' worth of data. Um, we've allowed contractors to use the Internet applicant rule in, in, in terms of Section 503 in VEVR that will make it much easier for them because there are systems that are already in place. We have tried to uh, design the rule in such a way where you get some lead time, right? In addition to the six months, you don't have to actually begin complying with the rule until after its effective date, and that will depend in part on when your affirmative action program annual date expires. So if it expires after March 24th, you have to um, comply with it. But if it's before March 24th, you basically have a bonus all year to come up to speed. But in between time, because I'm always a kind of a plan ahead kind of gal, um, you want to try and do what you can, learn what you need to learn, figure out what your questions are, and engage us. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help you figure out what your questions are. For folks with disabilities, we are here to help you understand the parameters of the rule, its protections, why it's important, why it matters, and why it's going to help you. So this will be implemented in March, is that correct? That's the first effective date, March March. 24th, 2014. Yeah, well, I'm with you that obviously you just can't start in one month even in one year, you need to start now. This, this is an issue where you really need to start planning and, and get the uh, infrastructure in place. And I have to tell you, the federal contractor community, you know, God love them, they have been working really hard to, real, to really figure out what they have to do. I mean, they understand that you just don't redesign a whole tech system in a day. They understand that collecting this sort of information takes time. Messaging has to go from top to bottom. It's got to be effective. You know, the business community needs time to do this effectively, and it's only reasonable that we should afford them some reasonable period of time to try and come up to speed on this, okay? This is not a gotcha type of game at all. And in order for this to work, we're going to have to work together to make sure that we're all working towards the common goal, which is to increase employment opportunities for people with disabilities and vets. Um, And, you know, veterans with disabilities, come on. People that went to Iraq and Afghanistan, fought for you with not knowing you, come back and cannot get a job, or people, you know, that came out over the past two years, whatever it is, Shameful. 
Why would we not hire them? I mean, you know, this is unbelievable to me. So I'm very big behind Vevra, um, and I'm so glad that came out too. But, you know, Pat, you were talking about the disability community. Um, What can we do? What can we do to help you? What can we do to make sure that we help make this happen? What, What can we do? Well, um, you can educate yourselves about what we're trying to do and write letters of, of support. Um, you might want to thank the president um, because he is the person that made this happen. It was his vision. Um, it took a long time to get here, and there are a lot of people who were involved. Um, so those are a couple of things that we could do. Um, I think it's important that um, if if people with disabilities feel comfortable that they self-identify because that's going to be key to any of this. Certainly no one should self-identify if they feel like they are not comfortable doing so, and that's not up for me to tell anybody. But the linchpin to all of this is if people self-identify. It's different than race and gender. Right, where very often contractors can look at somebody and tell what sex they are, what race they may be, although not always so easy these days and times. But people with disabilities, it's 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 different, and um, we want to create a workplace where diversity is embraced in every possible way. Um, and we want to afford people the opportunity to bring their whole self to work and be given the opportunity to succeed. I can tell you that some of the most talented people I have worked with in my career have been people with disabilities, hands down. Um, I understand that internships are one of the best practices. We are working closely with Cornell, um, to try and marry the policy piece with the research piece from academia because good policy is at the foundation of good operations. And good research is at the foundation of good policy. And we are very pleased that Cornell has been working with a number of different groups that have designed studies to identify the four or five best practices that contractors can use in order to enhance their recruitment methods, to enhance their applicant pool. Some things are not, don't have to cost a lot of money. Um, certainly internship programs don't. And something that we do here regularly at the Department of Labor, we do at OFCCP. I'm also proud to say that at OFCCP we've got about 17% of people with um, disabilities, and 25% of people um, who work for me are, are vets. Um, that that number's gone up, and we did it because we wanted it to go up. It's intentional. Um, it was the president's executive order that really spurred the entire federal government to re-examine how many people with disabilities it is hiring. There's already a veteran's preference written in the law when it comes to the federal government, but the federal government on a whole has made great strides in the past four years in hiring more people with disabilities at all levels of government. Um, And I just can't say enough about the president, President Obama's initiative and his vision and his commitment. That's where this all comes from. Oh, I agree with you. And your idea is just fabulous that, you know, if you're listening to the show and you're a person with a disability, you know, it would be really great for you to send a thank you letter, email to the White House. It really would. Uh, because no one else did this. Keep this in mind. This was written 40 years ago. Um, and I do really thank President Obama for his commitment to us and to the disability community. So, Pat, what do you think is going to be the biggest obstacle? What do you think will be the greatest obstacle seeing 503 implemented? Um, Nothing. I think it's going to be smooth sailing. (laughs) 
Well, they're going to be bumped on the road, you know, but but when you look at, at advancing the rights of, of workers, it's you have to look at the big picture. And the fact that we were able to get these regulations done, and quite frankly, we've kind of gotten some kudos, if I might brag a little bit, from the business community about the process itself. Um, we here at OFCCP, me and my team, we thought long and hard um, on many of the comments that we got. And we didn't implement everything we proposed, not that we ever intended to. It was an old statute and hadn't been updated in 40 years. There were a lot of ideas that were put out there because that's the nature of the regulatory process. It's the give and take. I like to think that we heard the contractor community, we heard the stakeholders from the disability community from a whole variety of communities across the spectrum about the issues and challenges that were important to them. We tried to weigh those things and reconcile them with the one essential principle that underlies both of these regulations, and that is aspirational goals with metrics and accountability. Yeah, and I agree. I think you have been absolutely, your whole team, brilliant, how you have worked with the business community. And I know that many of those feel the same way. I I believe this. People with disabilities, they don't want pity. You know, if you're thinking that, that this is a charity, we don't want pity. We want paychecks. We want to work. Tony Quello always says we're the only group that wants to pay taxes. We want to work, and it is an advantage to you to tap from this untapped labor pool. I mean, here's all these people out there that want to work with a great education, and you have to realize one thing this benefits your bottom line. So this is a good thing. And this isn't just a good thing morally. It's a good thing for you and for your business. So, Pat, I don't know. I'm thinking right now this has to be one of them. But obviously you have accomplished so much in your life uh, already. Anyone that reads your background will know that. But what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, that's my husband and my daughter. Mm. You know, how did I know you would say something like that? Well, because I you know me, you would say so- Yeah, that must be why. Well, I'm sure that they feel the same way. You know, it's amazing the spirit you have. So I have to ask you this question. Uh, who was your role model? I mean, someone had to impact you that you have this great passion for equality for all people and all groups. Who, who was that? Um, I would say, first and foremost, that was my mother. Um, my mother, Joan Shu, who, um, Irish Catholic young woman who didn't go to college, grew up in Chicago, um, worked really hard as a single mother to take care of my sister and me. But the one thing she was is she was a consummate professional. She started out as a secretary working at the University of Chicago in the chemistry department. And without a college degree, 35 years later, after several promotions, was the dean of students for the physical sciences division. Wow. And she really taught me you know, the spirit of um, hard work, um, the need for work, it sustained her, but she also had such a great outlook on life. Um, Her viewpoint was live and let live. So I can tell you we had some pretty interesting cocktail parties at my house (laughs) where there were lots of different kinds of people who were invited. There was a lot of interesting and very rich conversations because I grew up in Chicago in the 1960s. It was extremely diverse in all respects, and she um, was a lot of fun. So she was always my, and, and continues to be my inspiration. And for young people listening to you today, young people living with disabilities, uh, because we have a big listening audience, that feel as if, uh, you know, maybe they've been bullied, put down, uh, and, and don't believe in themselves the way you do. What advice would you have for them? You can do it. Um, all of us have to face some adversity in life, and um, 
you know, the thing about life is that it's a journey. And so it's not just about what you feel today. It's about the process and about getting there. And I believe that people with disabilities can do anything. Um, and I really do believe in the spirit of, uh, of our society that, that, that people, they need help once in a while. They need someone to uh, mentor them, to give them some support. Um, and very often you can be the person to give support to somebody else. So I think don't devalue yourself. You are, everyone's got a lot to offer. Yeah, they do. And that's why I just today was teaching a class to high school students with disabilities. And I told them a key thing is don't let anyone lower the bar. Don't let anyone take away your dreams. No matter what, don't let them do that because you can move on, you can get a job in the public sector, and you can end up being a person that changes lives the way Pat Shue is uh, doing for all of us. It's that you have to believe in yourself. And I would also say, Pat, that people with disabilities are very grateful because any time you've been oppressed, you've been left out, no one wants you, you have such gratitude that many, many people I've found employment for have never left that company because they are so appreciative of the opportunity. I'm sure you've seen that also. Yes, I am um, very grateful to have a, an extremely talented and diverse staff um, at OFCCP, and that's why we're able to do all of this great work. Quite frankly, it's because of my staff. Yeah, well, you have a great staff. Okay, we got a question I have to explain to everyone. Yes, you can download this show. I've been getting emails while we're talking. Uh, you can download this show from voiceamerica.com, and we will be talking to the National Organization on Disability, uh, the American Association of People with Disabilities, and the United States Business Leadership Network to try to get this someplace on their website because that way you can go and you can listen to Pat talking about Section 503 and many of the questions that you may have. This show is archived. It will be archived on um, BenderConsult.com and on our site. So all you have to do is go to BenderConsult.com or VoiceAmerica.com. I know we're putting this show on our website um, because here you have Pat herself answering questions and telling us about 503. Pat is a woman living with epilepsy and with other disabilities. Once again, I could never thank you enough. Well, Joyce, it's um, my pleasure, and thank you for your leadership and everything that you do on a daily basis to advance the mission. Well, thank you. Now, listen, Pat, if you had to leave a message for our listeners today, what would that message be? Don't give up. Don't give up. Um, there was a, a very famous uh, San Francisco politician who once said, you've got to give them hope. Yeah. You've got you to know, give them hope. Yeah. You know who that was? Who? It was a famous San Francisco politician. Well... Don't you think that's also true for young people? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was Harvey Milk. I had a feeling that's who it was going to be because I saw the uh, documentary with him, and I had a feeling that's who it was going to be. So that you're knowing, if you're listening, um, a great liberator uh, for the LGBT community that was sadly lost his life. But, boy, the impact he had... Uh, is long-lasting and is still with us here today, just as Justin Dart. Uh, Yoshiko, I know you're listening to the show. 
um, and your husband did so much for the disability community, uh, just as other great people have done for every group. And you know what I say, Pat? Someday we'll look back on all of this, and we'll be saying, can you believe there was a day that we had to talk about why you should hire people with disabilities? That would be like, chuckling about that. I know. That would be like me today saying, you know, you should consider hiring women. Right. Um, right. Can I just share one thing that one yes. of my staff shared with me? Yes. Um, about the Washington Nationals? Yes. Do you know that in the early 1900s, um, you know, a lot of the um, signals, the hand signals in baseball, were designed because there were deaf baseball players. Yes. Yes, that's true. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. It's creative. It's, like, not a big deal. And I think we can take a lesson as someone who loves baseball. You know, here they could figure this out in the early 1900s. Um, I think that we can probably figure this out. Oh, by the way, I'm one of those people. I love baseball. I love baseball. I love the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I knew that story, and it is true. It's like so many things in life. The huddle. The huddle is the same thing. Uh, um, I think it was from Gallaudet, but it was deaf uh, athletes that had, they had to figure out how to tell, you know, an athlete how to play with some, and now look what we have today. We have the huddle. And it's like that with everything. Once again, Pat, thank you for being with us. Congratulations on your award. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And, you know, we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader in America or throughout the world that has impacted us. And for those of you that are afraid and that don't know, wow, what's going to happen with 503, what will it be? You know, the greatest fear is fear itself, said Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And guess what? He used a wheelchair. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 